We're going to bring up Lance Kronberger, who's going to give you a seminar about hunting Alaska, what's unique about it, how to prepare for it, or at least as best you can, because it's a unique experience. Lance is an amazing person. He's got the biggest guiding operation in Alaska. He built it off his back doing sheep hunts in the Chugach on draw tags to get started. Now he's just through being a stubborn smart, diligent person has built himself the largest outfitting business in Alaska. Lance, like I said before, those of you who are here, at least 200 days a year, he's sleeping in one of our sleeping bags in one of our tents. And these are in the most remote, inhospitable places on earth. That's where Lance, that's his office. He's a huge asset to us for testing products and gear. He's one of the greatest people I've ever met and known. Value our friendship. So much, Lance. Um, so I want to ask Lance to, to come down and talk to you about this because it is different. I mean, I hunt all over the world, and Alaska is different. And Lance is going to help you better understand if you're going to do Alaska hunt, what to think about as far as product gear and preparation. So, no further ado, Lance Kronberger. Thanks, bud. Yep. All right. I'm, all right. I'm on. Uh, it's going to be tough to follow Jason's seminar on gear. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different than him. First of all, uh, I want to tell you guys that I hadn't been down here to Dixon since the grand opening. And uh, when Jason had the grand opening, it was great. But it is amazing to see how Kuyu has evolved and grown and expanded. And uh, like you said, our friendship is, is very special and this is something that is tremendous that him and his team have built. Uh, first of all, I'm a master guide in Alaska. I've been working up in Alaska for over 20 years. Um, I've been guiding every place I could. But uh, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a history on how I got into the guide business, and that will help with how I go about um, getting hunters prepared for coming to Alaska and how that translates into the gear. Um, Mike, I forgot to get a 5,500 and a 3,000 Taku bags. I need both of those, please. So first of all, uh, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. I didn't grow up doing all these things. My dad wasn't a hunter. I grew up playing sports. So basically, uh, I got introduced into the hunting at 18. Had a buddy, went archery elk hunting, brought me along, and elk camp was a blast. And so... Uh, went to college, played basketball in college, and then got to where I was getting ready to graduate with a civil engineering degree and realized I'm going to hate this. And I really got into archery elk hunting. So I went to a guide school in Salmon, Idaho, and uh, learned about horseback and wilderness and, and went and did that. And the second I got into the guiding industry, I realized uh, this was a great challenge. This was, this was lots of fun and it was lots of hard work. But I approached it like I approached playing sports. My dad was a basketball coach, and he was kind of militaristic in, in how he raised us. And so I approached every hunt as you either won or you lost. And I know that a lot of you guys that are using Kuyu gear and going on these hunts, you approach it the same way. Sometimes you win, and it's, it's awesome, and sometimes you barely win, but you don't always win. We're not always successful. Um, in our outfit, and I, 
never advertise 100% success because it's not like that. Um, so when you approach it that way, I came at the at working from the working backwards. When guys come hunting with me in Alaska, they're wanting to come home with a picture of them with their animal on a successful hunt. Nobody is spending that kind of money to come to Alaska, travel that far, suffer in the worst weather in the world to be unsuccessful. Not that it always is a success, but nobody's coming to be unsuccessful. Nobody's expecting to be unsuccessful. And when a guy comes to me and says, you know what, I don't really care if I kill something. One of two things, either he's lying or I don't want to take him. Because none of me, neither me nor any of my guides want to go hunting to be out there just to show you the flowers. There's lots of places you can go sniffing flowers. We're going there for guys to come to be successful. And like I said, I want to make it sure everybody understands, we're not always successful, but we're doing everything we can to ensure success. And that's where, when I teamed up and met Jason, it was a great relationship. You know, when, when I got to the point where uh, I was guiding all over the world, I would go everywhere I could, trying to find the most remote, tough guy, like, where is a place that it is, you know, basically, you need to be the toughest. I went to Tajikistan, guarded, guided Marco Polo. I've been polar bear hunting, been to Africa, been all over the western states. Hunting in Alaska is far and away the worst place on the world to go hunting. I recommend nobody goes there, except that's where certain animals live. The biggest brown bears in the world. I, we had, a, we had a, a talk yesterday with Jason's team. And I'm telling them, you know, and, and, and some of the girls aren't hunters. And I'm telling them about how horrible it is. Like, this place is wet, nasty, miserable. I mean, our company logo is we specialize in wet, cold, and miserable. And that's not trying to, like, uh, make a tagline or, or something. It is really like that. And these girls are looking at me, and they're like, I can tell in their mind, they're like, why do you choose to go there? Well, I choose to go there. I don't know if, there's, if pictures come, but you'll see one of these pictures because that's where the biggest bears in the world live. That's where 1,000-pound bears live. That's where monster moose live. That's where things that you can't get other places live. And when I got into the guiding industry, I realized if you were just dumb and tough, you could, you could niche out a business and the opportunity was much greater there than it was going and doing elk hunts where everybody could do an elk hunt. And so I said, that's where I want to go. That's the skill set I have. Now, people ask me, man, how long are you going to do this? Like, when are you going to, like, when does it wear on your body? The God didn't give me any other talents. This is what I can do. Like, I've tried to do other things. I'm not, it's not in my, I'm, I'm trying to stay in my lane. My lane is preparing for the worst weather and getting guys like you and gals like you prepared to come on those hunts. So what's happened is technology, media, everybody thinks they're an expert on everything. And then when they come to Alaska, oh yeah, I know this. Oh yeah, I've been here. It is a different, it is a different country. It's a, it's a totally different. And so my, my job and one of my hardest jobs is getting guys like you prepared to come to Alaska and trying to get it to where you can stay the whole hunt. 
we have 10 and 15 day hunts because not that it takes us 10 or 15 days to find the animal, it's because we're gonna lose a third of those days to weather and we may lose more. So if you guys can't stay comfortable and you can't stay mentally in the game and you quit or you say I'm done or I'm miserable and you go home earlier, we lost. I have to explain to my guides and people ask, the thought of you going home, when I have to sit there, so Jason and his dad came on a, on a grizzly bear hunt and some of the pictures with the ice and stuff were, and it went to negative 30 the first week of October. Totally unusual, super clear. We saw the northern lights every night. It turned into survival. It was not hunting. We had to get down the river to the airstrip to get picked up or we were gonna have to hike a long ways to a spot and I was gonna have to bring a super cub from about 500 miles away to pick us up. When that hunt came to an end and I had to look at Jason's dad and shake his hand and say, sorry we didn't get a bear. That feeling right there is not a feeling that I like at all. And instead of trying to forget that feeling, I try to remember that feeling so that when you guys come, I can do everything possible to avoid that feeling. When you guys come or guys come on hunts and we get into day five and they're like, man, I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm tired of being cold. I'm tired of being wet. I, like This sucks. And they say, I wanna go home. We have now lost. And I hate that feeling. So getting guys to stay engaged in the game for 10 days or 15 days that is my biggest challenge, both mentally and, and gear-wise. And so when Jason and I sit on the hill and we go over gear, or Brendan and I are out hunting and we're going over gear, we are always thinking, how can we make sure you guys can stay engaged in the game? Now, I see some of these, yeah, there's only one place in the world you can go and get bears that have hind feet like that. And the weather there sucks. It's never good. I mean... It, it, is, it is horrible. And everybody says, man, I want one of those. Well, if you want one of those, there's a bunch of suffering that has to come with it. But I will tell you what, that suffering and that time that we spend in the trenches, that's where those friendships are made. And when those guys get done with those hunts and they've been in the trenches and we get done and I come back and I see them, they go, it's in my top five hunts all time. Because you remember pain and suffering burns memories. You don't remember the easy ones. So anyway, when guys are coming to Alaska, everybody talks about getting in shape, being physically ready. Most guys, even older guys, that's not the biggest issue I have. Biggest issue I have is keeping them there mentally because they get cold. They get wet. So, working with Jason, we have figured out, my gear lists are very specific, uh, Kuyu products dominate the required stuff you need to have. But one of the things, guys, when you're coming to Alaska, and you've seen some of these pictures, every time you get farther and more remote, the planes get smaller. You can't bring too much stuff. It's not about bringing a ton of stuff, it's about bringing the right stuff. You got to bring the right stuff. Otherwise, two, we got to remember, you show up and you show up with a bunch of stuff that we don't need and you got all this extra gear. 
the chances of me moving you because we need to move you and bringing the super cub to come in and move you become less because it's an extra flight and we may not have the, the time with the weather daylight to get you moved. So coming with the right gear. If you guys are coming to Alaska, you're hunting with a guide, he should have a good gear list. He should tell you what to bring. So when guys come with me and they show up to come hunting, this right here and your rifle, that's what you should show up with. When you show up with these two bags and your rifle, you're set. You do not need more stuff than what will fit in those two bags and your rifle. So when you show up, there's some pictures here of a Super Cub. You sit right behind the pilot. It's a one-passenger plane. Carries about 450 pounds. By the time you get in there, he gets in there, and we throw your gear, we're maxed out. So remember, if you're bringing too much stuff, we have to make an extra flight. If we've got to make an extra flight, that changes your chances of being successful. This, now, coming to Alaska, most of the time guys fly into Anchorage. Then you've got to take another smaller plane going to another native village. Now it becomes, you know, what's a carry-on? These aren't great big planes. This fits in all of the smaller airplanes carry on. Therefore, it's not another checked bag. You already got two. You got this and you got your rifle. The 3000 was designed to fit in the carry on spaces. And when you go to Alaska Airlines or Delta, if you're a little bit big, they let you get by. In Alaska, they don't let you get by. They got a box there. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't go. So in here, you should be carry, this should be your carry on when you travel from the lower 48 also. So in here, you know you got all your extra clothes. Now, in this bag here should be all your, your roll bags, your zip bags with everything labeled. Remember, when you show up, you're going to be wearing some of your stuff. When we hit camp, like a bear camp, where we're not going backpacking, we're flying in, we're setting up camp, and we're staying. Jason and Brennan just came. We did bear hunt. That's how you come. When you come there, we got camp set up there. We're in a tent. It's raining a lot. It's blowing. And so what happens is no matter what you're doing, you can't keep condensation out of the tent. You're going to have little puddles. You're walking in and out, different things. So everything, needs to, everything you do needs to be focused along being waterproof. You know, rain gear needs to be waterproof. Bags need to be waterproof. Everything's need. Your gun is going to rust. It's just a matter of fact. And then if you come to Kodiak and you get on a Zodiac and you do different things there and you're out in the salt water... Water is our biggest problem. These bags solve that problem. In camp, you pull out your little dry bags. It's got, you know, your long johns, and you got your hats, and you got your gloves, and then you got your sleeping bag and stuff like that. It all comes out, but now when we get to the tent, we do not have the laundry explosion. We can have everything where you need to be. It's in your bags. These fit underneath the cots. They are designed... To, get, to, to, to be able to use in camp. It's a one-piece thing. You show up with roller luggage that's got roller wheels on it, it don't fit in the Super Cub. Now, we're getting in the Super Cub. I suppose we all like to eat. Like I said, those Super Cubs can only hold so much stuff. You have everything in small bags. Super Cub can hold more stuff if it's in small bags. So we unzip this, grab a bunch of the small bags, we put them in the, in the little spaces, we just roll that bag up, shove it in there, take it out to camp. 
if you have a roller bag or you got one of those hard-shelled cases, it is not fitting in the Super Cup. And time and time and time again, I tell guys all this, and they show up with those, and it doesn't work. So the only thing that you need to remember when you bring these bags now is you better put a big name tag on it. It's got your name because we did have two hunters show up and grab the wrong bags off the conveyor belt, show up in camp with someone else's stuff. So just remember, if you're coming to Alaska, you're going to start seeing more and more and more of those. On the gear stuff for Alaska, what works in the lower 48 doesn't always work up in Alaska. When we say this is the gear list and it says the Yukon rain gear, that doesn't mean the Chugach is okay. There's a reason that it says the Yukon rain gear. There's certain things when you're coming to Alaska and doing certain hunts that is very specific. And remember, if you skimp on gear in Alaska, it has the greatest consequences. Not only is it super expensive to hunt up there, it's super expensive to get around. It is the time and the place where the repercussions of having the wrong gear can really, really affect you and really hurt you in the long term. So if you guys are looking to come to Alaska and you're looking at doing a hunt up there, just remember that it is a different environment. It's a, it's a different way of doing things. And what has worked other places and on other hunts doesn't always work up there. Um, our main goal, remember, we can have all the right gear. We can do everything right. If you don't come home with that picture, we lost. We failed. It's, it, that's what you guys are coming for. And I, I know that that's why everybody wants to come to Alaska. I know all you guys want the picture with that, with that barefoot. That picture right there is a picture of what we're looking for. That's what we're trying to do. And uh, I want all of you guys to be able to have that, that memory and have that, uh, that experience. But if you can't stay in the game mentally and physically, it makes it real hard. I need four quarters out of the guys that are coming up there. And it's usually not the body breaking down that ends it. It's mentally you've been whipped. You've just been beat up. And so with the gear that's recommended for there, and just so you know, Brendan and Jason have done lots of hunts with me. If you're going on an Alaska hunt and your outfitter doesn't have a gear list, if you call up Kuyu, they'll have somebody that can get you a gear list of what the recommended stuff for Alaska is because it's not the same. They've done it. They've experienced it. I know when I worked for other outfitters in Alaska, they were really poor. They just say, show up with rain gear. That doesn't work. You need to show up with specific rain gear. You show up with the wrong rain gear, you're miserable. Then I got to give you my rain gear. Then I'm miserable. And then I'm pissed. And like I tell guys, my job when I'm guiding you is to get the most out of you. I'm, I'm a coach. I'm, I'm try and if you don't have the right equipment, I can't get the most out of you. What's that? And psychologist. Sometimes I got to load Jason's gun for him, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've got a lot going on 
I don't want to worry about your gear when we're in the field because I don't know how many times I've been shivering because the guy didn't listen to the list and because I want to get the most out of him and I hate to lose. I hate that feeling. I am giving him my gear so that I can keep him in the game so that we can make it happen. So, um, Alaska is so huge. I, I, I really don't want to get too specific on certain gear because if you go to Southeast Alaska or you go to the Arctic or you go to Northwest Alaska or the Alaska Peninsula or Kodiak, it's always different. Remember, when you're thinking about Alaska, if they cut it in half, both of them would be bigger than Texas. So it has got a wide range of stuff depending on what you're doing and where you're going. So just... When you're going to go do a hunt in Alaska, I recommend you research exactly what you're going and the gear is, that is needed. But, like Jason said, I like to hunt Alaska. We've got three areas in Alaska. We've got a spot out in northwest Alaska. We've got a spot on the Alaska Peninsula and Kodiak. And then we help on some sheep hunts in the Token 14C. So you know, I tried to pick the places that were the most remote, had the worst weather because I had the least amount of competition. And those areas had trophy quality animals. And so I wanted to hunt where I thought we had the best chance of killing something big, but I didn't have a ton of competition. And so by having bad conditions and bad, uh, really extreme environment has kept the competition down. So uh, I found that questions, what I think everybody wants to know about Alaska isn't always what I'm thinking about Alaska. So anybody's got any questions about Alaska, hunting Alaska or anything or our business, go for it. Yes, sir. What species do you hunt and where? Okay. So we hunt brown bear, grizzly bear, mountain goat, sheep, moose. The only things we don't hunt are black bear and caribou. Basically the way Alaska works is um, you're only allowed to have three areas in the state. We got a partner, so he does a couple of the sheep hunts. But we're hunting in northwest Alaska, which is kind of, you know, where you kind of think up there, you're heading towards Russia. And we hunt moose and grizzly bear up there. And we've got uh, really good moose and really good grizzly bear. And we purchased that area in 2005. Then we also hunt brown bear on the Alaska Peninsula and moose down there. And that's down on the Aleutian chain. So basically, if you can imagine northwest Alaska to, to our Alaska Peninsula area, it's 500 miles away. And both of those spots are 500 miles from my house. So think if we went 500 miles from here, we're, you know, you're a long ways, totally different climate. So we hunt moose and brown bear on the Alaska Peninsula. Then we also hunt on Kodiak. Kodiak area we bought three years ago. I worked for the guy for 12 years. Um, and we're hunting on the very south end of Kodiak. It's an hour flight from the town of Kodiak, and it has horrible weather. Um, we're hunting brown bear and mountain goat down there. We got a few Sitka black-tailed deer, and we'll do a little bit of that. But basically, we're hunting brown bear and mountain goat down there. Um, and that is a... Uh, the Kodiak season start early in the spring, and then they, they go late in the fall. So you've got extreme weather on both ends, whatever you're doing. And then we do sheep... Um, in the token 14C, um, those are both draw areas. Uh, they got good sheep. Most of it is, most of it is not allowed to have a super cub. It's all hike in. 
So we'll have a day of just hiking in to get to where the sheep are. It, it's, it's a no-fly zone. And so uh, those hunts are a guide. Most of the time we got two guides per hunter, and uh, we're going over the gear. And, and, and that being a little bit different than preparing for a bear or moose hunt in that with the gear list comes, if you follow our gear list, go down the list, get all the KUYU stuff, get it set up right, basically you're going in with 25 pounds plus your weapon, and we're good to go for 10 days. Um, so I kind of figured out what I thought was the most intriguing things to hunt, the things I enjoyed hunting, and then tried to figure out the best places that allowed me to have a successful business doing it. Yes, sir? What are your recommended calibers for the animals that you go after? Okay, so... I have one recommended caliber for everything in Alaska. I don't know if they all heard, uh, I want to say three or four days ago, um, a hiker got eaten in Alaska. That's about 10 miles from my house. Um, we use that trailhead to go sheep hunting all the time. So he got, was missing for three days. They went looking for him. Another guy got chewed on pretty bad. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're hunting Sitka blacktail deer whatever you're hunting, bears are now an issue. So even if you say, hey man, my 243 is really nice, I really like it, that ain't gonna cut it. If, we got an, if you got a problem, 243 isn't what you want if you got a bear issue. To answer your question, I am a 300 Ultra Mag guy. They've, you can, it can shoot 180 grain really good, you can shoot a 200 grain really good. It, uh, if all of a sudden you've got, you know, you want to shoot a sheep at 500 yards, you want, you, you got to do that. It has the ability to do that. That is your Alaska gun. Um, we've been working with Gunworks, who's here, on trying to develop the Alaska gun, so that, you know, what happens is caliber is important. Weather, I, I, I can't say it enough. The weather sucks, and the weather is hard on everything. You need a gun that doesn't have components that rust, you have a gun. That gun is a tool. My rifle, when I'm walking through bear country, is a tool. When I pull the trigger, it needs to go bang. If we have a problem, somebody could get hurt. That thing needs to work. So 300 Ultra Mag, I don't care if you're goat hunting, I don't care if you're black bear hunting. You need to have something that carries a little ump to it and I think that caliber translates to a lot of other hunts that you do in other places really well. So when it's on that, we built, I built a 30-nozzler with Aaron for my most recent bear, and that's when Brown Bear got in that picture. 30-nozzler is essentially, it, it is a 300-nozzler that would be the caliber to get for a Gunworks. Again, we built it, he has a, excuse me, he has a, something like a shorter barrel, carbon fiber stock, it, it, so Jason brought up kind of what we've been talking about. We're still working on components, making sure they don't rust. But remember, you've seen some of these pictures here where there's, it's thick as can be brush. Well, if you've got a 26-inch barrel, you're getting caught on everything. If you've got a 20-inch barrel, I mean, Jason went through the brush much better than the rest of us did. He had a 20-inch barrel. And if you set it up right, and we're still working on it, basically the, the top of that barrel was barely over his head. Because what happens is I get that six inches over my head, and every time I'm ducking down and I'm missing my head, I'm still catching my rifle. So Alaska's got its challenges on, on, on rifles. Plus, we don't have time 
Everybody's whipped. You come back late at night, you're not going to be able to oil your gun. That thing is wet. It's getting beat up on. It, it, I know we all like to have our guns and have them like they're a piece of art. They're a tool when we're in Alaska because they need to be a tool. And guys need to remember that. But the 30 Nozzler, 300 Ultra Mag, they're, they're basically the same. That's the caliber I recommend. And I don't care what you're hunting in Alaska because there's bears there. And if you need it, you've got, you've got the, the bang behind it to keep you safe. So on sleeping bags, here's what guys got to remember, and that's a real good question. On sleeping bags, we don't usually hunt when it's that cold, but if it's 25 and it's blowing, it feels like it's negative 20. So just, I recommend, unless we're doing an August sheep hunt, I want everybody bringing a zero degree bag. You, I don't usually have guys going, I'm too warm. Now, if we're going to go on a sheep hunt and we're going to do one of these where we got to hike in for a day, bring a 30-degree bag, bring Super Down Pro because you might be sleeping in it because we'll, we can get a foot of snow August 10th, opening day of sheep season. But for the most part, if you're going to buy one sleeping bag, get the zero-degree bag, I take it on... I, I pretty much will take that zero degree bag on every hunt except the very first sheep hunt. I'll take a 30 degree bag. But other than that, I'm, I am living in my, uh, my zero degree bag. And, and a little bit on the sleeping bags. You know, in Alaska, I keep talking about this wetness and stuff. Forever, I never used a down bag, even though I loved a down bag, because if it got wet, you were going to have issues. Well, what's happened now is when Jason and I started working on sleeping bags, I told them my issues. It's not like getting wet like it's drenched in the, in the creek. What it is is it's like you get condensation in the tent and you get some, some uh, it starts raining in the tent a little bit. Those sleeping bags, the covering they have on the outside is, is waterproof plenty to where I tell guys, unless we have a tent collapse, bring a down bag, a Kuyu down bag. Because guys are like, I don't want to bring a down bag. It's never been an issue with us. And that solved the issue because now they made the outer fabric to where it repels the water. Yes, sir. Gotcha. So he's asking about what grain bullet. Um, I'm a 200 grain triple shot guy. That's just, that's just, it's worked good for us. Um, they fly good. Uh, we got them laying around camp a lot of times. So that's what I recommend. If you were going to go and, uh, we've shot lots of brown bears with 180 grain. Um, I don't like getting under 180 grain. So that's kind of, and, and if you talk to some real old time Alaskan guides, they would think that's way too light. They want 250, 300 grains. Here's the problem. So, I got 110 brown bear grizzly that I've been personally guided. I'm right beside them when they're, they're killing them. My issue is usually not going in the brush after a wounded bear. My issue is guy shoots a bear, it goes into the brush, it comes out the other side at 350. And now it's going up the hill and it's dragging a leg and we need to get another bullet in it. Well, you got a 375 with a 300 grain bullet, you might as well just throw rocks at it because you ain't going to hit it. So... That's where 
you know, the 300 Ultra Mag, 200 grain bullet, hold it on the bear, you're going to be able to put one in them. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Footwear. And footwear is very, spe very specific to the person. But I will tell you this. Putting on gaiters is like putting on socks every day. I do not come out of the tent without my gaiters. Gaiters do a couple amazing things. In Alaska, they keep your feet way warmer. Now, here's the problem with footwear. You can't have really waterproof boots and have them breathable. So there's, there's this conundrum that we're always trying to figure out. So we go up and we hike up to the glass knob and we sit there for three hours. Your feet are kind of cold, but they're okay. And then all of a sudden, there's the bear. Let's go. For an hour and a half, we are going as hard as we can across the swamp. We get there, the bear's moved into the brush, and now we just got to hang out. Our feet have sweated, no matter what. Now you sit there for three hours and your feet freeze, okay? We're waiting on a bear, everybody's fine, your feet are okay, bear pops out, bang, we shoot him. Life's good, except now we got four hours of skinning and then we got it, you know, we got five hours back to camp and our feet are cold. Now the adrenaline would kill the bear. And like on Brendan's bear, we're spending the night out and hoping to get picked up by the super cub in the morning and our feet are freezing. There's not a way to fix that. So I have started carrying an extra pair of socks because once your feet get damp from sweat, you can't fix that. So um, Kuyu's done a good job with their boots. They're making a taller boot. It's amazing, a, a little bit taller boot or just a sleeve that comes up and you put your gaiters, we can go across pretty deep stuff. I can go across knee deep stuff with my, I got my Yukon rain gear, I got my, my gaiters on and I got those taller boots. I can go across pretty deep stuff if I'm being quick. If we're hop stepping across there, I can get across there without my feet getting wet, but I can't stop them from sweating when, we're, when we gotta go. Extra pair of socks should be mandatory in your pack every morning when you leave. So we spent the night out. I'll give you guys a little behind the scenes. We spend the night out, and it's Brendan and I and Paul, and we got Matt, and I got my other guide, and, and we're having a, we've killed a great big bear, and we're going to spend the night out, and next morning we're going to skin the bear, and hopefully the super cubs are going to pick us up. And we're on the Alaska Peninsula, and it's a pretty nice evening. It's probably 40 degrees, the wind's not blowing too hard, but we had to do like, a three and a half hour march to kill this bear. Our feet are sweated up. Okay, we're gonna spend the night out. This isn't like you make a fire in Alaska. There's not anything really to burn and everything that we have is wet. So there's no way to warm up. So you put on all your Super Down Pro, put on your rain gear, put on your beanie, put on your glass and mitts and you lay down. And if your feet could stay warm, you would sleep like a baby. And that's the one thing that kills you. So then, of course, at 4 o'clock in the morning, Brendan's out there pacing up and down the beach because his feet are cold trying to get warmed up. And we're sitting there and we're dreaming up, how do we fix this problem? And I would think 
I could be wrong. I would think within a year, Kuyu will have the problem fixed. And we're, we're, they're going to work on getting a, a camp booty. And that camp booty will be an insulated booty that you can wear around camp, dur- enough, durable enough to be in the tent, but light enough that you can throw it in your pack. And if that happens. But the whole thing with keeping your feet warm has to do with keeping them dry and managing the sweat. The only way I've found to be able to do that is by having an extra pair of socks in your pack. And when you get to that point, switching them out. Did that answer your question? Other questions? Yes, sir. Gotcha. So uh, a 10-foot brown bear, it's a, it's a four-hour deal. And so I will say this. The replaceable blades have changed everything. So um, I was never very good at sharpening a knife. Very few people are good at sharpening a knife. And so we're, we're taking about a dozen blades per bear. Not that it takes that many, but... Uh, the replaceable blades, there's lots of companies that got replaceable blades. That's what I recommend so that you're not carrying a sharpener. We're trying to be as efficient as we can and be in, uh, do as good a job as we can. The replaceable blades allow you to... So we probably don't need a dozen blades, but I will tell you right now, you can get a good batch of blades and you can get a bad batch of blades. And if you get a bad batch of blades, you go through a lot more. Um, uh, I will say this, from the tannery, the replaceable blades, we just, you know, they're talking to us and our guides all the time. You just want to be careful about putting too many holes in them because they're, they're pretty sharp. But I tell guys, bring a dozen blades, bring your knife. The nice thing is that you get a, a bare blood on that blade and you throw it away and get rid of it and you throw another one on there. Now you can still cut your steak. And then, yes, sir. Backpack, so 7,200 fits in here empty and everything goes on top of it. So if you're, if you're packing your stuff, your 7,200 empty, your sleeping bag, everything is either in zip bags or in roll top bags, you, you can put more in these two than I want you to bring. If you followed my gear list, you could get it all in that bag. Nobody ever follows it just perfect. But these two bags here, you can get it in, not a problem at all. Yes, sir. I don't, uh, let me put it this way. If a guy asked me, I would say go medium. The biggest thing is, you got to be able to shoot at 40 yards with the wind blowing. They don't need to go super, super heavy because if you hit that bear right, I mean, if you hit him, don't, don't think of it like you're trying to shoot an elephant. That's probably the biggest misconception. So, I mean, if you had, if you had a 450 grain arrow and you're pulling 65 pounds and you hit that bear behind the shoulder, dude, he's done. Um, it's... If you were coming moose hunting, I'd be more concerned than I am brown bear or grizzly bear. 
it's, they're just, a, a brown bear doesn't have as thick a hide as a moose does. Um, and, and they're just, you know, Brendan's bear was done in 17 seconds. We killed one on Kodiak last year with, with a bow. It was done in 15 seconds. Both of them were hit it. You know, Brendan's was close. That was at 32 yards behind the front shoulder. I mean, they are done. Uh, you hit them in the right spot. And those ribs, I mean, they're tough, but they're not, they're no tougher than, than an elk. They're a moose. I would be more, I'm more concerned about a moose than I would be on a brown bear. The biggest thing about bow hunting brown bears are you don't get a blood trail. You hit one bad that's not lethal, where he's not dead in 30 seconds, your chances of finding him are slim to none. Because there's not, they're not, like if they're leaving enough blood for you to trail, they're probably dead. I mean, it's pretty rare that they're actually leaving a blood trail that you can actually follow for very long unless they're dead. And then there they are. If you got one, if he makes it, Five minutes before he dies, good luck, because they can go a long ways. So the problem I have as a guide is I've got seconds to make that decision. Do I put a bullet hole in it or not? And that's, that's always a tough one. Uh, it's had to happen. Thank goodness it doesn't happen very often that we've had to put a bullet hole in them. But um, that's just... When guys come bow hunting with us for grizzly bear and brown bear, we have to have a, a long conversation on, on what to expect and, and what's going to happen and, and the way it's going to go down. Because like I said, if a guy comes and he shoots a bear and ends up with a bullet hole in it and he's super pissed, then we didn't win. We didn't have a good time. We didn't make that bond. We didn't make that relationship. And that's kind of what, what I like about guiding. And what ends up happening is bow hunters have really hurt themselves in outfitters not wanting to take bow hunters because my job is to send you home with a smile on your face. If you kill a bear and you don't got a smile because I put a bullet hole in it, why didn't I just take a rifle hunter who would have think I hung the moon if he killed the same bear? So I hope that answers. I kind of got off <laughs> off the, the question there, but yes, sir. I'm a bow hunter. I got a couple guides that are bow hunters. Um, it's interesting, I have a couple guides who don't want to take bow hunters because the pressure of making the decision, because here's what happens, you don't shoot, the bear gets away, we never find him, now I'm pissed. You do shoot, and the hunter's pissed. So it's, a, it's a, like, we're trying to do something that's really hard, and bow hunters got to understand, when you're coming bow hunting for something that's not a bow hunting only season, You've put, you've, you've put a, a restriction on yourself, a, a self-imposed restriction that I have to say I'm okay with because I have a rifle hunter doing the same thing. Now, if it's a bow-only season, that's a, that's a different deal. But, you know, guys come brown bear hunting. And so Brendan comes brown bear hunting, and we have a bear come in, and we have things happen, and it all happens fast, and it doesn't die. And it would have been dead, no problem, with the rifle. Nobody's fault, it just didn't happen. That bear is probably leaving the country, never see him again. Now all of a sudden, there is that moment of, I'm pissed because we just blew a stock. My thing to guides is we don't blow stocks. 
Even though it happens, you don't blow them because you don't get very many of them. And so now you got to ask yourself, did that, did that hurt that? Because some guys can handle, we had a little tense moment. I yelled at you, whatever. And then other guys have it where like that just crushed him. Like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And, and, and I just, you know, I want you to be successful. If I didn't care, it'd be no big deal. So. One more. What, what do I feel on what? Adding on a wolf tag. I think everybody, when you come up there, if the wolf season open, you should always have a wolf tag. That's, that's what I think you should do. Not everybody goes that way, but I would say, you know, the only time you really have good opportunities to kill wolves are when you don't have a tag. But if you're coming to Alaska, you should have a wolf tag. There's a gentleman sitting in the audience that showed up with a wolf tag. Like, you know, on the peninsula, on the Alaska Peninsula, you don't even have to have a wolf tag. You could, it, your hunting license is good enough, and you can shoot 10 a day. So they just want them. We need to get rid of some. Um, so my, if you see a wolf or there's multiple wolves, kill them all. So I'll leave it at that. Great job, Lance. Thank you. Perfect. Hope that was good. That's great. He's an amazing guy. He's a lot tougher than he looks, too. Not very sensitive in the mountains either, trust me. All right, th thank you. We're going to have a 15-minute break, but before we do that, anyone that's RSVP'd, could you raise your hand for any of the seminars? All right. So instead of going through a list of names and waiting to figure out who's here, put your hands back up. I'm going to pick somebody. You with a blue shirt. Right there. Congratulations. Just won $250 gift certificate. Now we're going to do the raffle.